0: This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority, for Designated Investment Business, and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus, Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. Hi, I'm Nick Searle, a member of the Zeus Equity Sales Team and host of A Different Perspective. Here we interview interesting characters from the world of business and finance and uncover a different perspective. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or contact me at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. It's Thursday, 22nd of February. With me today, I have Sid Lau. Sid joined the legendary Giles Hargreaves in 2007 to work on the Marlborough Special Situations Fund at Hargreaves Hale. Sid then designed and launched the multi-cap income strategy on which he is lead manager. The fund delivered top quartile returns over one, three, five, and 10 years up to 2021. Sid is also co-manager of the Canaccord Genuity Global Equity Fund, which was up 20% last year. Just to remind listeners, Hargrove Hale was acquired by Canical Genuity in 2017. Sid, welcome.
1: Thank you, Nick. That's a wonderful introduction.
0: It's quite long-winded, wasn't it? But I guess you're very successful, so I guess that that's, it needs all these pointing out.
1: Well, that's relative, but yes, uh, thank, you, thank you, appreciate it.
0: So where would, you, where would you like to start? Should we start with a bit of your background, sort of pre-working with Giles?
1: Yes, sure, yeah. What would you like to know?
0: As far back as you'd like to go.
1: Wow, okay. Uh, this is very personal, so it kind of um, requires me to make it a bit more relevant to a yeah, professional world as well. I was born in Calcutta. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there for um, a decade or so, then I went to Darjeeling, uh, you know, where the tea yes, comes from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was there for about two years, then I was incredibly lucky. I got a scholarship to go to yeah. which was the Inchcape Scholarship. And that was quite a lovely um, so step you l- change, you Did if you leave you like. your family in India? I, I did. In fact, it was the, f- the first time I'd ever come to England um, or even really leave India properly. And so I, I got on a flight. It was a KLM flight. It changed at Amsterdam. I can still remember it. Um, and I had Lord Inchcape receive me at 5 a.m. So a thorough gentleman drove me to school, picked out my second-hand uniform clothes, um, which is absolutely the right thing to have done, and um, and that was the beginning of my
0: five years at boarding school, so that was at the age of thirteen, yes, yeah, so see so realistically, a little bit like I actually or me you left school at, sorry, you left home at thirteen pretty much, but i was I was quite
1: lucky because I'd already been to boarding school prior to that, okay, so I'd left home technically prior, but funnily enough, I kind of saw my parents more often when I was in England, yeah. having had this wonderful scholarship, which in fact sent me back for my holidays um, three times a year. So I, I was actually in India five months yep. of the year, yep. give or take.
0: So um, an enjoyable time at school?
1: Wonderful time, yeah, and made some lifelong friends who I'm still in touch with, and um, I mean, of course, uh, Lord Inchcape himself is uh, sort of a great mentor to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah.
0: And then was that a scholarship that he did for for many children? or?
1: It was a one-off, actually. Um, I think the Cape family had, uh, and I, I know they had a huge history with India, mm-hmm. so this was a, a way of giving back uh, something, and I was lucky enough to get it.
0: Oh, fantastic. And then university?
1: University, Edinburgh, uh, read economics, four years. Again, wonderful time, loved it. Um, and then, actually, I and it's this, this uh, leads nicely into the investment world, I mm-hmm. suppose, because I I was the first intern for and Connell. You Mm -hmm. know, um, in Scotland, it tends to be the case that the solicitors, the lawyers, they look after the wills and trusts and also become money managers as a result. So I was working with and Connell. I was always interested in in investment, um, but I knew very little about it. And so this was a way of learning something. And I was, um, I suppose I was offered a job. I was looking forward to joining that. And then there was the dot-com crash. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these things got cancelled unfortunately. So came along to London and um I didn't actually get anything for yeah. a long time.
0: So what year would that have that been?
1: That was two thousand and two onwards.
0: Okay, so still very much after the, yeah. the crash. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and
1: so I d- I wanted to spend my time constructively and I did anything and everything from um stuffing T N T magazines into envelopes. Yep. Uh to working at charity shops to trying my luck with a startup in a a vending machine company, um, which was also a very good experience. And then eventually I got um, an internship at Dalton Strategic. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Although that was only really meant to be work experience for a week. And then that turned into two weeks. And then they said, well, you know, there's no job here. um, But, you know, maybe you can do a few more weeks. And a few more weeks became six months, and that short-term contract then became a full-time job. So, yeah, again, that was a a lot of fun too. Um, And, of course, Dalton are now part of Polar Capital. Yes,
0: yeah, exactly. And how did you make the the leap to go work with Charles?
1: Well, um, I was offered a job actually to go to Switzerland, which um, made sense for me because my wife is Swiss. And at the same time... I was writing to Giles about horses, mm-hmm. race horses, because I actually met Giles uh, at one of these race events. Yes. And I knew that he had horses. And I said, um, actually, there's a dear friend, a family friend in India who has a stud farm and she has an import license. And would one of your horses ever want to have a home there? Mm-hmm. You know, sh- and being an yeah. expat and all of that, she was quite well known and she was a great sort of. Animal rescuer and lover, and all of that, and, and would have taken care of his retired horses perhaps. And so he wrote back saying, No, I have no horses, but why are you leaving England?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You should come and work with me. <laughs> and that was in- intense because I'd only met the man for about 20 minutes. Um, so it was a very
0: good judge of character, I always thought.
1: I think he really is a very perceptive person, yes, indeed. And um, also knows exactly how to uh, work well in a team, in, in the sense that. He can take out, you know, we all say a lot of things, but, but he knew how to extract, and he knew when to listen. Mm-hmm. So I might give 10 recommendations, but he knew which two to listen to. Oh. And I, I think that's a totally different yeah. skill.
0: So when did you join Giles? Uh,
1: 2007, 2007,
0: yes, yeah, yeah. And and started running money straight away, or how how did the
1: No, went? no, um, it took a while, actually, I was an advisor to him initially on the Marlborough Special Situations Fund, and that then suddenly became an advisor to him on all the funds. Mm -hmm. Um, So what happened was we had the the financial crisis, and somewhere I think he he felt that I'd helped protect the value of the fund. We fell by less than the market, and when it turned, we rose by more than the market. Somebody said, oh, uh, could you do the same thing with an income strategy? looking forward and because we had this foothold if you like with small mid cap companies in the UK and quite long deep relationships with the management teams uh, I put together a draft portfolio actually I had tried to launch the a very similar product prior at at Dalton yes but there was no interest sadly so I I produced this blueprint which I'd effectively had ready made it was up and ready if you like and Giles liked it, and then we went along to one or two people with the mm-hmm. view that you know we might be able to raise seventeen million pounds uh-huh. um and that would be economic and as it happens, they, we they, ra- they were the days <laughs> <laughs> those were makes. the days <laughs> and and as it happens, it turned out to be ninety million on the first day, and then that was the first in time that was the first billion pound strategy that Hargreaves hell ran yeah um. Giles was very sporting, he said, look, I don't really know anything about income, why don't you run it? You can have my name and my support, and you know I'm always here for any council. Um, and that is actually how we pitched it to the clients as well. So it was very upfront and open. Um, and it was actually quite a quantitative process, but borrowing certain elements from SITS, uh, what we call the multiple special SITS yes. fund. So that
0: continued, and um, here we are 12 years later. So, what are your what are the key core to the fund? What what is your analysis process, or what what what's a good investment in in your eyes?
1: Okay, well, the investment process, if you want the elevator pitch, because otherwise it might take a lot lot longer than this podcast, um, is that we want a sustainable dividend payer, and clearly for that you have to be a profitable business. So we're not buying a whole bunch of biotech companies or yeah. really illiquid businesses where you can never get out, um, meaning that we would not buy private companies. So these are all listed, all profitable, and quantitatively they have to pass a minimum criteria of having a good balance sheet, meaning net cash or low gearing, and there are many definitions to that, but um, the free cash flow is really what I I think is very important, because if that covers your dividend, then you're less likely to get affected by any accounting uh, on the earnings per share mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. And, and we know that with an income statement, that can happen yes. um, for various reasons. It's not always untoward, but it's a much truer um, cover, if you like, on the TV. And that's that's what we're aiming for, is, is securing good companies with good management teams. And and that's what we mean by good, is is where there's some track record some sustainability um, and the ability to guide well you know you can have a brilliant business but if you can't guide the market well from a management perspective yes. where yeah. the, the saying of under promise and over deliver yeah. is totally forgotten about then you're in for disaster but yeah the market um, certainly yeah. doesn't like surprises yeah it likes good surprises but, but, but certainly not the bad ones
0: and how many holdings in, in the fund
1: typically over 100 which is unusual but that's deliberate because we want to manage liquidity risk and not be too stock-specific, also offer uncorrelated returns or relatively uncorrelated returns. You know, because you could buy a whole bunch of large-cap income funds, Mm -hmm. but underneath it, you'd be buying the same thing. They'd all have Royal Dutch Shell, um, you know, the same seven, eight names. The concentration of dividend is actually really very high in the UK market, especially at the large-cap end.
0: Whereas if you can choose from eight hundred stocks, why wouldn't you do that? So you're market cap agnostic. Absolutely. And is there a is there an average yield for the fund?
1: It has to be better than the FTSE All Share Index yield, as per the UK Equity Income Test, which a lot of people have forgotten about. Okay. So um, it currently running at. It'll be f- uh, three point nine percent, give yeah. or take. Yes. Um, and our fund is at about four and a
0: half, four point six. And then you're now. Co managing the kind of called Genuity Global Equity Fund, so uh, a step away from your, your income strategy? Actually, very different and complementary in some ways,
1: uh, which may sound counterintuitive, but it is roughly the same quant process looking for good balance sheets, looking yep. for good free cash flow, looking for improving margins, and good management teams, but no requirement for yield. And so it's a, it's a global remit. Uh, and there will be companies like Ferrari in there, which yeah. are exclusive and have pricing power and have done incredibly well for us. Um, and there's also a sort of a, if I can put it like this, a mid-cap element to it, which is that a large business in the UK might be a few billion pounds. But in on the global stage, yeah. that's, that's actually yeah. a small company.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And yet very liquid. And any Magnificent Seven within the 20% return?
1: No, very little, actually. We we have no Tesla, have never o- owned that, for instance, um, and certainly very relatively underweight Magnificent Seven. We do have a small holding in Amazon. Uh, we have a little bit of Apple, and we've got Microsoft.
0: Mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. So you didn't have to stay up last night to listen to NVIDIA? Well, well.
1: actually, we doubled our returns on NVIDIA prior to the big breakthrough on GPU and then came back to it in a very small way.
0: What What did you learn from working with Giles?
1: One of the best things I learned about working with Giles was actually sitting around a board table with him and Giles saying, if you think I'm making a mistake, you've got to tell me, which was very different to my prior experience where... If the boss said something, you nodded your head, you yep. listened, and you did not challenge. And I think that really sort of stayed with me a long time, and I've tried to apply that in my own team and encourage people to take another view and say something different because there's no point watching your own teammate roll down a hill when you know full well that that's an error. And yep. and I remember Jal saying, look, I'm paying you to tell me how I shouldn't make mistakes, so I'm very interested in knowing what you have to think. And And I think that was one of the pearls, if you like, that I took away with me.
0: No, I think it's a very good pearl, actually, because you, you, I, I imagine that with, a, with a, such a forceful character, a, an echo chamber can be created around you, and the whole idea is that people just agree with you constantly, and actually to, want, to not want that is, is very... Astute. Exactly.
1: So instead of building a, a, a sort of a, an atmosphere of fear, you you should encourage somebody yeah. to challenge you, not just for the sake of it, though. I, I think if you're right and you just keep getting challenged, you lose your confidence. So yeah. you don't want that either. Right. But there is a healthy balance. And, and, that, and that's what I enjoyed the most working with Giles, was being able to speak freely, say what you want to say.
0: Because actually both of you can learn something. Well, absolutely, a- absolutely right. And then are there any sort of specific stocks or companies you'd like to talk about this afternoon?
1: By way of uh, example, on the investment process. Yeah, exactly
0: right. I mean, you know, what what are you? I, I what fits that yeah, process? Yeah, what type sure. of stock fits sure. that process?
1: I'll 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 um I'll I'll stick to the multi-cap income fund, the Marlboro multi-cap income fund, where there are three uh, stocks, all beginning with M. There's okay. There's McFarlane. Yes. Which is the small-cap protective packaging company. Uh, by the way, I should probably say at this stage, none of them are uh, should be taken as advice or to say but correct. they're just they're just. I mean, Things we hold and that we, My where we think. My
0: listeners will know that's in our
1: disclaimer. Yes, so. yes. and and um, McFarlane is, what, an OP of just under 10 times, uh, yields about 3.8%, and it's been one of those steady eddies, if you like, where it has made some bolt-on acquisitions and scaled up in the UK and Europe. Um, And done incredibly well because it it has this discipline of of not overpaying. It pays five to six times EBITDA, and they they know why they're buying a business, and they look after it. And it really is a sort of a very good example of a a company that's been in the fund for a long time. Uh, You get the rare, um, how can I put it, It, in our world some of these traditions have been forgotten, but um, it's so lovely to have a letter from the CEO post-meeting where He thanks you for your time. He outlines what you discussed to tell you that he was actually listening to what you said. And, and then, you know, catches up again in a year. And I think that's really quite wonderful. Um, it's a very good record of, of minutes, if you like, but um, in, a, in a rather tasteful way. Yes,
0: yeah. And that's, that's delightful, actually, in our new digital email, instant communication gratification way. And, and also, actually, it goes back to your days at school, because like my days at school, Everyone res- loves receiving a letter. Yes, yes, I love receiving a letter too. And um,
1: there are two others I should probably mention. There's, there's, um, there's Midwich, yep. which is the distributor of audiovisual um, equipment. And that's a, that's a funny one, but it seems to be so ignored. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it has, or will have probably uh, uh, by the end of next year, quadrupled its revenues over a four-year period. Tripled, maybe. Sorry, I should correct that. They will have trebled their revenues and maybe quadrupled their profits. Yeah. And again, that's on a P of ten. It's on a yield of about four and a bit. And um it's so on I a it's on know. a yeah. And and it's, it's 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 got a share price which is still lower than what it was doing three four years ago. And and you sort of think, earnings have gone up, and yet. It's not
0: recognised. Which I mean, yeah, there, are, there are lots yeah. of names like that in this market that yeah, yeah. Midwich is quite a decent-sized company. What's the, what's the market cap? It, it's
1: decent, but it's still a small cap. Mm. Really, it's three hundred and seventy mil. Okay. In mm-hmm. sterling.
0: And then your third one.
1: Oh yes. Well, I was just going to say on Midwich that it's it's um, it's changed quite a bit, and and it's changed for the better. It's actually only. Forty percent UK now, oh, and, and, and yeah, so so you can buy into one of these small mid-cap UK names and get global exposure, which I, I think is a wonderful thing, um, especially if you are worried about being too domestically focused mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, and then the third one is Morgan Sindall, which actually is domestically focused, but seems to be bucking every trend. Yes, yeah, it has a, a, an average net cash position of over four hundred million now. Um, and again, another one that's on to of about 10 and yielding nearly 5%. Yes. So yeah. three examples, I suppose, of uh, Morgan Sinal is a construction and fit-out business. Um, I should probably say that. Um, and yeah, three examples of three good management teams um, where they've done everything right and yet there's plenty of value as is apparent. Um, so to us, that looks like an anomaly, if you like, um, and I, I would say they they tick the criteria in terms of good balance sheets, low gearing, strong free cash flow, reliable dividend payers.
0: Are you getting excited about the current market opportunity? I mean, are you finding lots of things on your potential buy list? I'm I'm
1: getting excited in the sense that I see that there are takeover opportunities which. While they look like the nice, big, fat premiums of 50% odd, as has been the case with one logistics business recently that we hold, it's also not exciting because the premium should be so much bigger. Um, And you only have to look at the multiples that some of the peer group have gone on, where I would argue the accounting is much cleaner and easier. At Wincanton, uh, there's... Little or no conflict of interest. They've got a better pension, um, which is now mm-hmm. essentially sorted, so they get 20 million of free cash flow. So, in a way, the heavy lifting's done. The order book is full. There's much better visibility. The backdrop's better. The consumer's actually relatively strong mm-hmm. in the UK. So, mm-hmm. yes, I, I am getting a bit more excited in that it's been a pretty awful last two years. It's been um, last two years. But the backdrop is so much better. And I think if you do get these interest rate cuts that Everyone seems to be talking about. Even if it isn't the second half,
0: it's that reconfirmation that will set the market alight. I think that's exactly right because obviously, if we do have rate cuts, then it then it it shows that, and we obviously been, by cutting, it shows we've had peak rates. So therefore, companies can actually look to invest. There, there's an ability, hopefully, now to maybe borrow money or use equity that that actually corporate strategy becomes a lot clearer if that's the case and it's interesting i think also because if there are a number of bids and sadly maybe some have gone up too cheaply but ultimately that should recycle funds back into hopefully back into the market as well so. yes
1: yes indeed and and you're right it's the clarity it's knowing
0: having a bit more certainty so you can make the decisions and get on with it so you you i mean and again, again i'm no macro expert but second half is that when you think we're likely to see cuts?
1: That that is what I think, but it is so data dependent yeah. and
0: so data dependent. And, and uh, if yeah. the U.S. would stop coming in so hot, then we might all be able to uh, <laughs> relax a bit, really.
1: Yes. Well, um, I, I would like to believe that they have independent policy thinkers. Uh, so the Fed is meant to be independent. If you if you read the book by Alan Greenspan, mm-hmm. titled Maestro. Um, I think it's a wonderful book actually you should you should read that uh, and and it'll give you a bit of insight into how how the fed thinks or used to think and every word that is put into that script is is very carefully thought correct, out correct yes so well I think the currency game is is a tricky one and this yeah. is where we can't underestimate um the impact we want a stable currency in the UK I think that makes a big
0: difference and certainly a stronger currency would be better for the domestic stocks too yes Exactly. And we have never cut rates before the US, though, and there tends to be a six-month lag in that case anyway. So Indeed. But I, I do think there's some light at the end of the tunnel. We have to be. Well, as a smaller company salesman, I have to be optimistic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, as uh, Charlie Chaplin once said... Uh, n- nothing in this wicked world is permanent. Not even
0: your troubles. Well, yes. Well, let's fingers fingers crossed. So I would say, I mean, actually, I wouldn't say I don't want to put words into your mouth, but there is some feeling of of hope and optimism. A bit better for twenty four. You think there will be a return to uh, interest in the market?
1: Yes. Well, the the company statements thus far have been,
0: uh, I would say, fairly robust.
1: Actually, and, and and all of them true. cautiously optimistic. You know that phrase very well. So. I think barring another macro event or a, a tragic war or you know something yep. something which upsets the Apple cart. I think if the market is just let allowed to get on, then then you know it can do its job in terms of rewarding good statements and the mechanism kicks back into action.
0: Yeah, we definitely need a functioning capital market, that's for sure yeah so as my regular listeners know, I like to close with three questions. I'll take one at a time if that's okay. Your greatest inspiration or mentor. You may have mentioned it earlier in, in the <laughs> episode, but uh, over to you. It's difficult to pick one when you
1: talk about greatest inspiration. I, I think of some of the wonderful people I've been fortunate enough to have met. And if you'll allow me, I, I probably course. have more than one. No, so, I mean, of so, course. So, you know, because it, it, you take different things from different people. Exactly. And I think when I was a child, I met Mother Teresa. And that was quite a moment, sort of...
0: In in Calcutta. In in,
1: in Calcutta, indeed, yeah. And she had these electric blue eyes. I can remember them even now. Um, And and the inspiration was really that um, later on, I I remembered the saying that somebody said to her, you you can't help every poor child. And, you know, this is just not a possible task. She said, no, we can't help every, but all of us can help one. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I think there is a lot of value in a statement like that. So that stuck with me, um, and wherever possible, I've tried to apply it in my life in different fields. Of course, I I can't uh, sort of pass without acknowledging, uh, of course, my uh, my mentor is mm-hmm. is of course Lord Inchcape, who is one of the reasons I've I've come into this country to begin with. So, uh, one way or another, that was. Uh, I, uh, some of the things he said have again shaped the wa- the way I think um, and, and and I remember him saying, "You know when you watch a Western, uh, you can always tell or you should be able to tell the good guys from the bad guys by just looking into their eyes and 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 it's actually quite true when you apply it even in your own life, you know whether it's work or otherwise. Yeah. We meet management teams all the time, yes. and typically you'll get one hour to work out whether you trust them and yeah. whether you think that they're capable people. So, eye contact is important. There was, I suppose, uh, a great book I read in in The Contender. I never met Marlon Brando, but I think uh, I admire him for Mm -hmm. having had the courage, if you like, to stand up for the little guy. Yeah. Whether it was racial inequality or otherwise, I think he was always championing that. And it does require a lot of bravery to do that. So... Again, try and do something. I think we, we are in privileged positions. Try and do something to give back when you can. That's important. There is an element of social contract, but uh, all too often I think people in finance get brushed with the same, Yes. you know, oh well, you're all greedy bankers. But ac- ac- actually, n- I'd like to
0: believe not all of us are like that. And, you know, as investment managers, we're certainly not bankers. <laughs> That's very fair. And then a book which has inspired you. Again, you can have more than one. I'm not not restricting you in any way.
1: Well, I mentioned The Contender, yeah. um, and I've mentioned Maestro, so that's two books already. But if you were going to ask me for a third, um, I'm reading My Name is Barbara, okay. which is The Life of Barbara Streisand. Um, and I would, again, uh, for you know many reasons, recommend that one because it's all about a superstar who's actually quite down to earth yeah um and and again trying to sort of take the best from that if if you draw parallel there is something in being able to um hold your head up when things are down and and you know certainly the stock market will create many moments like yep. that where you might doubt yourself bringing it back to a poem rather than a book um, if by Kipling mm-hmm. where, where where he says uh, if you can meet with triumph and, and disaster and treat both those imposters just the same well, um, or treat those two imposters just the same I forget the exact wording but it's, it's something along those lines that, uh, it's almost like a prayer actually yes. it, it keeps you level headed and we can apply it to our world of of cycles, of Mm -hmm. business cycles, Mm -hmm. because it's never one way, not down nor up. And, you know, even when you think that everything is just looking down, actually, there will probably be a turn.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense as well. And then finally, what piece of advice would you give to a young person starting out on their career? Yeah, that's a big one. Um,
1: Everyone's very different. So I would say let's start with knowing the individual.
0: Yeah.
1: But... I don't think I can give one piece of advice. Again, there's a few different things I would say. Um, Be curious, Mm -hmm. ask a lot of questions, give due regard, make your mistakes, because you learn a lot from it. When I look back, uh, I think I was in a room full of people when Henry Kravis of KKR was doing a pitch for an IPO and and somebody asked him what his biggest learning was and he said, well, actually I go back and examine my mistakes. And that's something that, again, stuck with me. I, I think there's, it's all too easy to go and do a high-five to yourself when you've got something right. But yeah. when you really make a difference and you learn is by going and understanding why you got something wrong. Keep a record. I think that's the other thing. Keep a record of your goals, if you're saying buy or sell and, and why you're doing it. Go back and be honest with yourself when things haven't worked um, and, and try and learn from that. So there is that element of it. The very smart youngsters, I suppose, might be so good that they they end up intimidating their bosses. <laughs> I think there's a <laughs> bit of restraint required there, perhaps yes. and, or their enthusiasm yeah. yes um and and that's okay i think I think you 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 shouldn't be afraid of shining, but again, there is a certain maturity in saying, "This is my role is to recommend, and you're the decision maker, so you go ahead and do what you need to do, and you know have a certain detachment and attachment if you like uh, in in an almost buddhist fashion um but you know do what you're expected to do and not get too emotional about it Mm -hmm. so that that's that sort of sense of professionalism i almost feel like i'm creating lists for my own four children here (laughs) Um, but but you know yeah it's it's it there's a lot of advice to give and actually usually people don't want advice they they want to be left alone um and that's okay too you know You, you you should be allowed to make mistakes and not be afraid of it but I think if you can manage your risk, study risk, that's that's another important thing. Um, you've actually reminded me of a book um now uh, Barton Biggs Hedgehogging I think yes, that was yep. a, that was a great piece and a lot of it is about that really is is that when things are going well, you know, you can get carried away and think oh, I'm brilliant at this and it's it's going to carry on forever, but actually you have to be careful and know when to get up. It's it's no. In some ways, like a casino, get up when you're when you're doing well, you know, take your profits. Yeah, we can all learn from that, can't we? Actually? Yeah. and cut your losses. And that's that's something yeah. Giles used to say. So, you know, run your winners and cut your losers.
0: Yeah. Um, and so I've kind of come back to your initial question almost. Perfect. Sid, how can listeners get in touch with you?
1: Uh, well, I suppose LinkedIn is probably yeah. the easiest way. Um, it's um, direct and it gives me a chance to respond. Brilliant. Sid, this
0: has been great fun. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Different Perspective, a Zeus podcast. If you'd like to feature on the podcast or get in touch, you can contact me on live at zeuscapital.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.